The following message is from the 2019 IBCD Training Institute, Identity Crisis. All right, my name is Elise Fitzpatrick, and the question is, who am I? So, who am I? I'm Elise Fitzpatrick. And the title of the talk is, who am I? Okay, so what we're going to do now is unpack a little bit about identity. And everything that Deepak just said in there to you is, yeah, okay, do that. That was wonderful. So I'm thankful for that. Um, But what I want to do is try to maybe drill down a little bit with you into the places in your life where you're finding identity, okay? And maybe help you try to figure out how to figure that out, okay? Um, we all begin to develop identity fairly early on. You know, our, our mom or dad or whoever it is that raised us tells us our name, and we learn that. We learn our, we learn our place within a family structure. Uh, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not. Uh, we learn about who we are by the kinds of things that people say to us, and we learn that uh, from a very early age. And so by the time you get into, you know, kindergarten, you're beginning really to develop your identity. What is your place? Who are you? And then, and then you have the terrible, um, experience of running into people who don't think you're the cat's meow. And they start telling you what your identity is. And they tell you that whatever, you're a moron or whatever. I'll speak for myself. So, um, you know, and then as we grow and develop, we, uh, we begin to develop an identity and we find the things that we think we're good at. We find the things that we really like. Uh, we find the things that we want to pursue. Uh, there are other things which we're going to talk about and we begin to build for ourselves an identity. So we're going to start. Now watch this. My identity is I don't know how to use technology. <laughs> that was pretty good. I'm going to break it, aren't I? <laughs> Through the wall. Um, so what is your identity? I want you just to think about that for a moment. If I, and if I, if you were, if I had you ask, answer that question right now in this class, I'm pretty sure you would answer it differently than you would answer it if you were just at a meet and greet in your neighborhood or something. You know, you're going to, you're going to present your identity in a different way according to where you are. But I want you to think, you know, how would you answer that question? Uh, if you weren't in a session, if you weren't in a session at a Christian counseling conference on identity, what would you have said? Okay, so now you talk a little bit, right? Who are you? What's your identity? Very nice. Thank you, John. Husband. <laughs> John's an elder at my church, so he'll save me. <laughs> I felt like Ferris Bueller. Anybody? So, mom? Christian. Christian? Grandmother. Grandmother. Teacher? Encourager. Right. See, first of all, thank you to all of you who said those things. And I know you're, you're uncomfortable saying them. And bench of you have them in your mind, but you don't want to say them because you're afraid you're going to say the wrong thing and you don't want to get the identity of being the moron in the class. <laughs> so I get that. I get that, too. Um, all right. So what would you say? That's, you know, that's an interesting question for you just to... For you just to think about, I know that in my life, there have been times when I have had an identity stripped away from me, taken away from me. And I was not really aware until I went through that, and we may talk more about that as we progress on this evening, but I wasn't really aware how much I was getting my identity from this thing until it was gone. And I felt like I had been um, set loose at sea. All right? Now, and I'm, I'm, all right, I'm going to talk about it a little bit. A little while ago, 
Um, I was very much involved with a uh, certain group, a ministry, okay? And, um, and I was really unaware of how much I was, I was taking my identity from that mm, group of ministries, okay? And I was saying, I am that. That's who I am. That's what's really important about me. That's my message. That's, okay, you get what I'm saying? And when that thing came down, <laughs> see, I knew I had been chosen in Christ. I knew that. I've known that since 1971, which is longer than some of you have even been alive. I've known that. But when that thing fell down, it was bad. It happened on a day. (laughs) There was another ministry that I was on the phone with, and... Basically, that whole thing, I was on the phone, my daughter and I were actually on the phone with these people, and that whole thing just blew up. And then we had just hung up from that, and I got a phone call that this other thing was gone. Okay? Who am I? And and that was helpful to me. Because if you would have said to me, Elise, what's your identity? I would have said, I've been, I'm loved by God, I, you know, I'm adopted, and we're going to talk about all these things. But boy, it's so easy to get our identity from things here, isn't it? From the approval, the love from certain people, um, the identification with certain groups, It's very easy to get our identity here. And in part, of course, you know, that's because um, the identity that we have in Christ, that's something that we have by faith, and we're walking by faith and not by sight. It's very much easier for me to try to get my identity from my friend Sharon um, when she tells me she loves me. See, now that's not a bad thing, is it, to know that you're loved. On the other hand, what happens if it's not there? See? Now, God in his kindness will take you through times when he strips this away. Now, I'm sort of coming out the end of it. Who knows where we are? But think I might be sort of coming out the end of it, and and it's okay. Um, I I wouldn't trade it for anything, but boy, it's hard when the people you have relied on as those people who have told you who you are, given you an identity, when they say to you, no, thank you. It just right down to your core, right? And that's the time when you've got to press in. Uh, and for me, and I'm going to say this, and it might sound like I'm patting myself on the back, but what I had to start doing then was going to church way more than I needed to go to church. Okay? Because I knew right then that I was in such a dark place that if I didn't push in, it would be really easy for me to flop out. So, and God held on to me, and he'll hold on to me even if I don't. All right. So, does your identity change over time? Well, yeah, of course it does. So what would your identity have been 20 years ago? Well, some of you are really young, and some of you are not really young. And (laughs) so what would you have said? Well, my identity 20 years ago was I was a... I am a, what relationships did you have? See, your identity changes, and I'm pretty convinced that the closer you get to heaven, God in his, in his sanctifying grace makes you find your identity more and more in him. Uh, I once heard uh, Dr. Peter Jones from Westminster Seminary, he said, life is a series of divestitures. Do you know what that means? It means like things taken away. You're, you're, di- you're being divested of things. 
And, you know, I mean, that doesn't sound like something a person ought to preach, right? <laughs> because, no, I'm not going back there. But, I mean, that's, that's actually good to know. It's good to know that these things that you're striving to get right now, at some point you're going to say goodbye to. And you've got to find your identity outside of relationships or ministry or whatever. Okay. Um, I can remember that uh, when I first started talking about identity um, 10 or so years ago, I was having a conversation with a biblical counselor, and she said, Elise, we don't care about identity. That's all psychobabble. And um, I said, I, I, I was sort of shocked, but then I said, no, I, I, I think it's important for me to know who I am. I think that's really important for me to know who I am and what God has said about me. You know, she basically thought this is just more self-focus. Now, obviously, you're in this class tonight because you don't think that it's just more self-focus. You, I'm assuming you think that it's probably a good thing for you to know. So then I'm going to ask you, um, where do you get your identity? Where do you get it? Now, I want to talk a little bit about something I call Big L Law. It's not on your notes. Big L Law and Little L Law. Big L Law and Little L Law. Big L Law are the laws that you find in Scripture, all right? Uh, codified in the Ten Commandments and uh, summarized in Love your neighbor as yourself and love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's big L law. But then there's also all kinds of little L laws, like uh, you need to recycle. Uh, I once heard somebody talk about justification by recycling. Okay? So I recycle so I know I'm okay. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't recycle. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying... Where, how do you answer the question, what makes me okay? Well, so I, that's little L law. And this culture in which we live, even though it purports to be not religious, is actually highly religious because we've got all these little L laws that we have to obey. You have to eat clean. And now I'm not saying anything about that. If you want to do it or don't do it, cool, good for you. Um, but it's, you know, justification by clean eating or um, justification by good parenting. See, I'm a, I'm a good parent. Hi, Bunky. Hi, <laughs> how are you? I'm well, thank you. And I'm just you? Counting. Okay. So. You know, I'm a good parent, so I'm a good parent, and so what that means is, um, first of all, I'm going to assume, <laughs> I'm going to put all sorts of pressure on my kids to perform, right? If my identity is I'm a good parent, then what I'm going to do is to put pressure on them to perform, because the way they perform is more it's, is about more than whether or not they're being obedient. It's about whether or not I have value and worth as a human being. Right? Do you understand? That's why when your kids are, are naughty, you get a little craziness. Right? It's just, ah! well, you, you really should discipline your children. But why does it mean so much if they act in a certain way? So, you know, that's like, Little L law. I've got to be. I've got to be a good parent, or um, health and body image. You know, I, I got to get on social media and talk about how much I, how many miles I ran today, or how I'm eating, or you know, strike a yoga pose and take a picture of it and post it. See that? What's going on? On social media, they are all statements of identity. This is who I am. So I got a picture taken with my friend here right before we started. I'm going to touch it, and it's going to fall down, won't it? <laughs> <laughs> 
and I'll post it because I have this identity of kind of being half crazy. And fine. Okay. So little Ella, uh, you know, little Ella, you can, if, how many of you are on social media? Right? Oh, okay, everybody. You can know what your identity is by looking at what you put up on social media. That's who you want your identity to be. Okay? So, uh, little L law, health and body image, you know, coolness. You know, right? You know what that means? Like being up to date, uh, having seen all the right movies, being able to comment on them, all those things. Um, uh, I think particularly for women, the little ill law of beauty. You know, I got to look a certain way. If I don't look a certain way, I don't have value. And we need to, you know, we need to fight against that. See, what happens if that's your, if that's your law, if that's your identity, if you're seeking that, then what happens when you get sick and can't exercise and gain 25 pounds? Are you still okay? Do you see what I'm saying? There are things in our lives that we are building our identity on and they're not strong enough to hold it. They eventually crumble. Uh, the law of your sexual identity, all right? So, you know, we are going to talk about sexual identity, I'm sure, during this whole conference. But, you know, who you are as male or female is becoming more and more important to identify. Um, laws, of, laws of not being like or being like your family of origin, all right? Now, for me... Um, my mother, who was, a, who was a really wonderful woman, it, she still is, she's 96, um, but she had to work uh, sometimes two jobs because I had no father in the home. And so uh, when, I, when I was growing up, particularly in my teenage years, and I, and I really despised her, um, one of the things that I said after I became a Christian, which was right before my 21st birthday, after I became a Christian, I said, I'm not going to be like my mother. Okay? I'm not going to be like that. What's really shocking is I, sometimes I say things. I go, oh, no, it's my mom. <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Um, you know, so then, so then as children, sometimes we make, we make kind of make life promises, right? My identity is I'm not going to be like that, or I am going to be like that. Um, so we try to get identity, we try to get our identity from there. Or um, the law of being a good Christian. Now, Am I saying that you shouldn't try to, you know, obey the Lord, love your neighbor, love God? No, of course you should. But if being a good Christian, if that's who you want to be, even that is not strong enough to bear the weight. Even that isn't. You know why? Because you're not. Right? Okay. So if what the law, big L law says is you have to love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and neighbor yourself, you've never done that. There's not a good Christian in this room. Okay? But if what you're trying to do is prove that you're good, and a lot of times we use the people in our life to do that. I'm going to try to prove that I'm good, uh, and the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to make sure that my children are this, or my family is this, or my house is this, or my job is this. I'm going to prove that I am a good person after all. All right, so let's just take a few moments now and talk about what the Bible says about your identity. Um, 
And I'm just going to run through these really quickly. I'm sure you are, are all really aware of these verses. Doink. <laughs> so what are some of the identity statements in scriptures? You, in scripture, those of you who do counseling, you really need to know these verses. Because I will bet you that when your counselees come in to you, they don't know these things. I mean, they know them, maybe they've heard them a little bit, but they've never actually, it's never actually taken root in their heart and transformed them. So this is an identity statement. I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, that old person, the person who made all those vows, the person who decides I want to be like this, that person has been crucified with Christ. The person who's trying to prove she's good has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who, listen to this, loved me and gave himself for me. That, that's your identity. You are loved, and God gave himself for you. You're loved. My daughter has teenage, well, one teenage son and one son who's 20. And it used to be when they would walk out the door to go someplace, she would say to him, remember to make good choices. And, you know, that's not bad. Then she started saying to them, remember you're loved. Just remember you're loved. In your own life, how much sin would you have avoided had you remembered you were loved? I mean really loved. So you're loved. Jesus Christ left heaven, came to earth, took up residence, in the ovum of a 14-year-old virgin girl, gestated, was born, placenta and all, just like you, and then lived an entire life before he ever, before he ever did any miracles or teaching or anything. He lived a whole life for you. Because you need the record of somebody who loved their neighbor their whole life. He did it for you. So what's your identity? See, what my identity is, is that I'm justified. Here's my hobby horse. What does the word justification mean? I'm not going to ask you to do it, but I just, I'm going to take a little poll right now. If I asked you to define the word justification, raise your hand if you think you could do it. Okay, good. This is what justification means. Here's the easy way for you to remember. Justification is, first of all, just as if I never sinned. Good. See, so right now, before God, who actually sees you, (laughs) right? Not this sort of outward, whatever thing we do, but actually sees you, sees your heart before him, just as if you had never sinned, you are completely forgiven. That's good news, right? But that's not all it is. It's not only just as if you had never sinned, but also just as if you had always obeyed. That's your record. That's who you are. So who are you? Well, okay, maybe maybe my... You know, maybe I get chosen last to play in a game and maybe I'm destitute and maybe I've lost my friends and maybe I can't find a job and maybe, but actually before the only person in all of creation whose opinion actually matters before God, I am completely forgiven and counted completely righteous. That is. That's the only identity that is powerful enough to take the weight of your whole life. You are justified. So, I'm 
Things get stripped away. Health goes. Friends go. Family goes. Life is a series of divestitures. And yet, I am completely forgiven and counted completely obedient. Right now. Not like later, after you get your act together. But now. So I say to you, because I'm assuming you wouldn't be here if you had not trusted Christ, that if you've trusted Christ, I say to you, all your sins are forgiven. And I say to you, you're counted completely righteous. Now that, build your life on that. Right there, do that. It will bear the weight of your life. Okay? He loves you and gave himself up for you. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, so it's not a spirit of slavery. So you're not an indentured slave, but you are a son. You are a daughter. Now you understand that when Paul talks here about being a son, what that what he's talking about is the is the um, laws of adoption in Rome, where if a person is adopted in Rome, if a, if a childless uh, head of a household wants to adopt a favored servant, then he makes him his son. And then the great news is that once that's done, it's done forever. So even if that head of the household then later has biological sons, he can never get rid of that son. That son is the primary son. And that's who you are. All right? So I'm okay with being a son, even though I'm female, and the guys are all going to be okay with being a bride. <laughs> okay. Had to get my little gender or whatever in there, you know. <clears throat> okay. But you have received the, the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears, himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. See, I never knew my dad, so I never, I never had any inheritance from my dad. For years as a young person, that just killed me. I have a half-sister. I didn't know her then. I know her now. She got it all. Okay? But I have this. I have this inheritance. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. And yes, we do suffer with him. And we will be glorified with him. Continuing. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. You know, can you just picture Paul? He's just piling it on here. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you lost love? Someone you loved? Someone you thought loved you? Have you lost love? You understand what that means, that rejection. You'll never lose his love. And you know what? It's going to be there tomorrow and the next day and 10,000 years from now. It will be there for you. You have his love and nothing will separate you. All right, Colossians 3, if then you've been raised with Christ, so this is an identity statement, I have been resurrected with Christ. Because of that, I want to seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set my mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. I want you to see that all of those things in there, starting with that first seek and going all the way down to earth, all of that business, that's an imperative. 
Those are commands. Those commands are rooted in the indicatives, the declarations about who you are. You have been raised with Christ. You died. You've been raised with Christ. And your life, this is so great. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You're hidden. Do you ever feel like you're kind of exposed and people can just take shots at you whenever they want? You're hidden. You know what Paul's talking about here? You know that time when Moses, you know, he goes up Mount Sinai, gets the Ten Commandments, goes back down. People are having a party, takes the Ten Commandments, breaks them. God says, I'm going to wipe them out. Moses says, no, don't. Moses says, show me your glory. I mean, that's like some kind of gutsy prayer. Show me your glory. God says, okay. Moses goes back up. God takes Moses and he puts him somewhere. Where does he put him? He hides him. He hides him in a rock. Who is that rock? Jesus. That's why you sing, rock of ages, cleft for me, right? That's who you're singing about. And Paul is is drawing on that to say, you know, just like Moses was hidden with Christ in God, so are you. And Christ is your identity. When he is who is your life appears, then you know what? You're going to appear with him in glory. That'll be good. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You are not exiles. You are not illegal aliens. You're not trying to get into a country. You are members of a household. Sometimes I think it's, it, when we don't have good households, earthly households, it's difficult. I'm not saying, oh, well, it's no big thing. Of course it is. Of course it's a big thing. But I'm going to tell you, you're part of a household already. You have that identity of being in a wonderful household. And... Paul, here's Paul making identity statements. Indeed, I count everything as loss. All of those places that I used to try, try to draw meaning and value from, try to, you know, make myself feel like I'm actually okay after all. I'm not just the loser. Indeed, I count everything as loss and all of those ways in which I've tried to prove that I'm actually good, those things too, I count them as loss. See, for Paul, that's who he was. He was the guy who did everything according to the law. And he says, you know what? I'm counting it as dung. Nice word for what he actually says there. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. All of the ways in which Paul sought to make himself righteous in his own eyes, he counted as dung. Because he knew he could either have Christ or his own righteousness, but you can't have them both. It's either Christ and his righteousness or your own righteousness, and then see how far that'll take you. He says, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. May God help us not to seek to have righteousness of our own. Isn't, that's the hardest thing on the planet for Christians to do. You know, everybody's all worried about trying to get Christians to not sin. And okay, I'm really actually more worried about trying to get Christians to stop trusting in their own righteousness. 
not having a a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. But this one thing I do, forgetting all of that other stuff I used to try to use to tell myself I was okay, forgetting that and leaning forward, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I won't be that person that I was in the past who was always trying, and I was the kind of mother, because I had the background that I did as a, as a young, as a girl and uh, as a young woman, when Phil and I got married and we had kids, I decided that my kids were going to be good because them being good meant that I wasn't that person anymore. And I wanted to use them to make me feel okay. I'm not going to be like that person anymore that has to use my relationships or my work, or my personal righteousness to try to make myself feel okay. Okay, so what happens when you get this wrong? Now, can I just say, this is the life of faith. This is where, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the war is. Trying to believe this, and then trying to believe it again, and then trying again. Okay, because right now I'm talking to you and I totally believe it. But maybe I'll go home and there's going to be something there that's going to make me think I'm really not a good mom after all. Or whatever. And then I got to come back. You see, that's what we have to do every single day. Coming back to Christ, his forgiveness, his righteousness, and forgetting the righteousness that we're trying to establish on our own. Okay, so what are some of our false identities? Finding my identity that in those things that aren't strong enough to bear that weight. Trying to find my identity, and Phil and I are celebrating our 45th wedding anniversary on Sunday, which actually proves there is a God. <laughs> Not because me, because I'm like, yeah, Phil's very nice. But, you know. um, okay, so what about if I thought that I, the only way I could have an identity that I could feel okay about is if Phil acted a certain way, right? And so I got to get him to do what I want him to do in order that I can feel like I'm okay with myself. Does that make sense? You're not going to say no because you're trying to get out of here. Okay, (laughs) so if you get your identity from your work, from your family, from your own goodness, from your law keeping, you'll find that it never satisfies. It is never, ever enough. It's never enough. So you think, if I just had, you know, a single person will say, if I just had the right spouse, and then a married person will say, if I just had the right spouse... See, if I, just, if I just had this thing right out here, I can see it. If I just had this, this job, this degree, this whatever, if I just had this, if I could just do all the things I think I'm supposed to do every day so I could lay my head down on the pillow at night and say, my, what a good girl am I, I am. If I could just do that, then I would know that I'm okay. And it's never enough. Because as soon as you do it, then something else ticks in every single time. So false identities. And then what happens off of that is you fall into slavery. And then you become enslaved to those things that you think you have to have in order to have your identity, right? So you'll always be enslaved to the things that you think bring you approval and an identity that says, I'm really okay after all. I'm worthy. I'm valuable, I'm loved. And you become enslaved to those things. And because you're enslaved to them, then they will have the power to bring you blessing and cursing. So if I'm enslaved to my marriage with Phil and I'm enslaved to his opinion, then when he smiles at me, everything is great. 
And when he's grumpy, my life falls apart. Right? It, it, it has, it always brings with it blessings and curses. Because we live in a, in a sort of a set-up meritocracy, right? So I think if I can just work hard enough, then I'm going to get these blessings, and they're going to come to me. But the problem is if I'm looking for it from you, it very quickly turns into curses. Your God has the ability to bless or curse you. And when that thing you're wanting, your God, your identity, when they smile on you, you're okay. You're a person of value, a person who's loved and welcomed. And when they don't, you're crushed. That's how you can know, by the way, whether or not some relationship means too much. And it bears bitter fruit, you know? So Matthew 6, Jesus says, I'm not answering texts right now, actually. I'm looking for a verse. (laughs) I'm going to post. Hi, I'm teaching right now. (laughs) Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up treasures for yourselves. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, Jesus is saying that whole thing, it's not strong enough to hold you. Anything here that you're looking to find your okayness, does, is Is that okay if I'm making up a word? You find your okayness in? If you're looking for something here to do that, the problem is that there are moths and there's rust and there are thieves. In other words, it's going to come tearing down. But instead, but instead, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. In other words, what I care about is what he thinks of me, and he's already said what he thinks of me. He says, I'm beloved, I'm forgiven, I'm accepted, I'm completely righteous. See, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay. So then, don't lay up for yourself treasures in those ways, because otherwise you have to live in fear. See, what? here's another way to get at this. What do you worry about? Okay. What do you worry about? And, you know, actually this whole passage in Matthew 6 is all about worry. So what do you worry about? That thing you're worrying about, that's probably your treasure. Because you're scared to death it's going to go away or never come. And the thing, you have invested it with power and importance in your life. And so you want it to bless you. But what it always does, if it's anything other than the Lord, is it curses. All right? Or you get angry. You know, I mean, really. I go to work every day. I'm the first one here. I'm the last one to go home. I do all my work. I don't sit around and do the other stuff other people do. I don't steal the paper clips. And this slug gets the raise. Right? That. Okay? Because you're wanting something. It's not that it's bad to want to have a good relationship with your employer or a good job. But when you invest it with your identity... When you say that it means something more to you, when you do that, then you're going to be angry when you don't get it. Or you'll be sad. I can't go on. My life is worthless. I have to have this thing. And if I don't have this thing, I don't even want to breathe. Now listen, that's not to say that it's inappropriate to want to have good relationships or a good job or, a, you know, whatever, and that when you don't have those things, you'll feel a sadness 
We all feel loss and it's appropriate. Jesus himself felt loss. But when you, but when you live in that and give yourself to it sort of over and over again and then use it as a way to do other things that you know you shouldn't do, then you're crossing a line. What about uh, self-indulgence? <laughs> okay, so I can't have what I want, so I'll just go eat a Snickers bar. Now listen to me. There's nothing wrong with eating Snickers bars. Everybody said yay and amen. <laughs> okay, but do you know what I'm saying here, right? I'll go eat something. I'll go spend money. I'll go mm, play video games. I'll go watch porn. I'll go... Whatever it is that you use to comfort yourself when you're struck. I'll go, I'll go drink. I'll use drugs. I mean, marijuana is legal here, so... Right? I'll do those things because I'm trying to comfort myself. And why am I, why am I trying to comfort myself? Because, I, because I'm unaware of or don't care about the comfort that comes to me from God. And he's saying all the time, I have comfort for you. Come to me and I'll comfort you. And you say, no, actually, right now, I think I'll go smoke a joint. That's what it is. Okay? Or um, you put undue pressure on others to assure you that you're okay after all. You do this kind of thing when you're like searching around for people. You know, you're waiting for people to tell you how cool you are. Now, we're all adults in this class, so, you know, we don't actually text anybody and say, hey, can you tell me right now how cool I am? But you, you know, you know how to do that. Fish for the I'm okayness, right? We're fishing for that. Why are we doing that? We're fishing for it because we're forgetting you're forgiven and, and completely justified. So I don't, you know, do I care? Yeah, but not that much. You know, they asked Winston Churchill, how is it that you're not bothered by what people say about you? And he said, well, if I cared about the person, they would bother me, but I don't care. Well, okay. I want to... I want to care about people, but I'm not going to invest my friend Sharon here with the power to ruin my day. She would never do that because she's my pal. But you see what I'm saying? Not going to give anyone that power because Christ has already said, you're loved and forgiven. So now live out of that strength. And, you know, the self-righteousness. Like, I've been a really good friend, and why are you so crummy? You know? That's the kind of thing that you say to another person. You know, every single time she had, you know, some sort of need, I was right there to try to help her, and now here I am, and I need this, and she's ignoring me. That. That's self-righteousness is what that is. I can't believe you would treat me this way. Really? Self-righteousness. See, I can't believe you treat me this way because I'm actually really good. Okay, so then, what are some of the sweet fruit that comes from putting your identity, gaining your identity from Christ? We're almost done. Uh, perseverance and trial. I know this is hard, and I'm suffering, and it's painful, but I also know my Redeemer lives, and I will see him stand on the earth. And my flesh and my bones, they may be destroyed, but with my eyes, I will see him. That. Okay. Courage to face your weaknesses brokenness and neediness honestly see that's i what i want to try to help people do is stop pretending that we're not broken 
Okay. So I say to you, I'm really broken. And it's okay for me to say that to you because Christ loves me. In my brokenness. And then growing past needing others to loving and serving them. Uh, that thought comes from Ed Welch's wonderful book, When People Are Big and God is Small. Um, he says you can't possibly love someone and need them in a slavish way at the same time. It's impossible. So I need to grow into a position where I can love and serve you whether or not I get anything back. Now, I'm not saying that that means if you're in an abusive situation or anything, it's not what I'm talking about, okay? What I'm saying to you, though, is I want to be in a position when I, where I'm free to serve people and not looking, not needing something from you. And the only way that you get there is by knowing that you've been loved and forgiven, therefore you can love and forgive. And that's the only thing that'll help you do that. See, I can admit how broken I am because who I am is not my reputation, it's his reputation. Okay. Finding rest in Jesus' identity instead of your own. So, you know, what's his identity? What is his identity? Mm. He's the second person of the Trinity who became the incarnate son who had to learn how to form lang language words. He is the word that spoke the sequoias into existence. And yet he had to learn how to move his mouth as a human to say the word Abba. So he did that for you. And then he lived as a little child with his little sister coming up, undoubtedly, and biting him on the leg. Because that's what little sisters do. And instead of doing what you would do, which was whacker, he loved her. Do you know why? Because you need the record of somebody who always loved his neighbor. And then, and then he grew. At some point, after the time he was 12 years old, his father died. We don't have in, his earthly father died. We don't have any record of Joseph after the trip down to Jerusalem. And from the time he's, say, 12, 13, 14, until the time he's 30, He's functioning as the single head of a household. And he's taking care of his siblings and his mom. And you can bet that he was being mistreated, misjudged, and don't think for a minute that the, that the people in the village had forgotten about, you know, that whole thing with Mary. And, you know, she was pregnant before they got married. Mm -hmm. That reputation... He lived that, and he never sinned once against any of those people. Do you know why? Because you need that record. See, that's what you have. And then he steps off onto the scene of public ministry, goes down into the Jordan with his cousin John. Filthy water. Go in there to wipe, wash away your sins. What on earth is Jesus Christ doing getting baptism for the remission of sins? Why is he there for you? He says to John. John says, can't do it. Jesus says, yes. Let, us, let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. See, he's fulfilling righteousness for you. He's doing that for you. That's your identity. You have the identity of a righteous person who's been baptized. And then he spends the next three and a half years 
going about doing good, healing all who are oppressed of the devil, and speaking the truth, and saying enough things to enough people, particularly the religious elite, that they decide he's got to go. Okay? And then onto Gethsemane's floor he falls. And what does he say? He says, Father, let this cup pass from me. What cup? The cup of God's wrath for your sin. Let that pass from me. The cup of having to drink into himself all of your vile sin, all of my vile sin. He drinks it into himself. And then his father turns his back on him, exiles him, just like Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden, exiles him. And he says, cries, my God, my God, why? See, (laughs) and then his father pours out on him all of his wrath, for all of your sin, all of God's wrath for all of your sin, all the sin that you committed before you were a Christian, all the sin that you've committed since you've been a Christian, all the sin you've yet to commit. God the Father poured out on the head of the son he loved. That's your identity. He did that for you. And then he died. Why did he die? He had to die because death is the curse for disobedience. So he takes unto himself the curse of disobedience, which is death, and he dies in your place. And then three days later, God, by the Spirit, raises him from the dead. And that is why Easter's amazing. Because what it means is your sins are forgiven. And your record is perfect. God accepted it for you. That's, what, that's, that's why we go, yay, it's Easter. That's it right there. That's your identity. God poured out all of his wrath for all of my sin on the sun and then killed him for it. So now, here's a math question. If God poured out all of his wrath for all of your sin on the head of the son he loved, how much wrath does God have left for you? So why do you live as though you're trying to prove that you're a person that's worthy of somebody smiling at you? You have the smile already. So you find rest in... Christ's identity for you instead of your own. So, you know, maybe my life will work out the way I want it to, and maybe it won't. Eventually it will. See, because eventually I'm going to follow Dave Pallison. Mm. We were just sort of crying about Dave Pallison outside, but in a way I'm sort of jealous, you know, jelly, because he's, he's there, he's resting. And then, and then after we rest for a while, then Jesus is going to come back to earth, and then you get new bodies. <laughs> Won't that be cool? And then you get to live forever. And, you know, don't think that heaven is just going to be some, you know, like eternity-long worship service. Although I love worship services. You know, it's sort of going to be like we're all going to be sitting around chatting and Jesus in bodily form, still bearing scars, is going to come up and go, hello, children. And we go, oh, Lord, <laughs> we were just talking about you. <laughs> and he'll say, I brought lunch. <laughs> like that. Forever. You like to learn? Do you like to learn? You're going to get to go take a class with whomever it is. You go, go up... Tolkien is going to be up at the New Jerusalem talking about (laughs) writing Lord of the Rings. Like that. Okay? That's where we're going. So here you go. Who are you? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm not going to want anything else. I don't need any other identity. 
He's my shepherd. I'm in relationship with him. That's all. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, that soul that's longing for somebody to make me into somebody that's respectable and worthy and loved. He leads me beside. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The Lord is my shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. See, but what, what about if I lose all these things that I think I have? I will fear no evil because you're with me. And really, you're the only one that matters. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So maybe I'm going to get the stuff I want, and maybe it'll be good, and maybe when I get it, I'm going to find out it's really not that great after all. But I will have God's goodness and mercy all the days of my life, and I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. Right? Right here, right now, this is like a little top pin, top of a pin in comparison to eternity. So, what do I have to say to you now? We're done. All I have to say to you is this. Remember you're loved. Remember you're forgiven. Remember you're counted righteous. Go in peace. Amen. Copyright 2019, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at ibcd.org.